to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so much that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And before you're seated, I want to tell you something. I'm in this story and so are you. And I want to challenge you tonight as we look through this story, the details of what happened and what God was doing, that you look for where you are in this story, just like I've been examining my heart about where I am in this story. Before we're seated and we get started in this, can we just ask God to help us recognize ourselves? Father God, we come to you right now, and we're going to look to Jesus. And we're coming before you, and we ask as we look at your word, as we seek to exalt Jesus and what he did and what he does today, that you would help us to see ourselves in this story and that we would respond appropriately. And God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. You may be seated. The title of what I want to share with you tonight is called Some People. Two words, just some people. Now, I'm not talking about some people. I mean, there's some people like that in there, but that's, that's not the way I'm talking about it. I'm talking about some people, all right? We got some people here tonight, right? We got some people from Jamaica. Wow, that wasn't very enthusiastic. You all from Jamaica tired tonight? We got some people from Barbados. Oh, there you go, just one, but hey, they got it, right? We got some people from Puerto Rico. Amen. Do we got some people from Honduras? No, not tonight. How about Trinidad and Tobago? Oh, okay. There, there we go. How about from right here in the United States? All right. I know we got about 20 different nationalities in our church. And I know I missed some. So which ones did I miss? We got some people from where else? Where, Guyana. Guyana. Okay, where else? 
Canada. I heard Guyana and Canada at the same time. They sounded really close, although they're not really close. Where else? Haiti. Where else? Africa. Anybody else? Any other place? Mexico. So we got some people. And the some people are from some places. Different groups, different places. You know, we got some people here tonight from Marion Oaks Church of God. Yeah, all right. We got some people here from Church of the Risen Savior. All right. We got some people here from Hebrew Evangelical. Oh, Pastor Charles, you got to work on your people, brother. Oh, we got some people. I got to think of the other. We got some people here from World Outreach Evangelistic Ministries. All right. There we go. And we got some people here from Marion Oaks Assembly of God. All right. A home crowd advantage, I guess. Anyway. And I bet we get some people from other churches. Anybody else here from a different church than one of those five? If you are. I said, yeah, we married those church of God. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here. Now, I'm not going to get into how we got some people that are Republicans and Democrats. We're going to leave that one totally alone. Okay. So we got some people here tonight, and it's one big group, but it's made up of smaller groups of people that are divided by different things. And we could go all night long talking about different groups, different divisions, and how we're different, how we're the same, you know, that kind of thing. I always like to tell our church, you know, there's a lot of differences in us as a people of God, politically, ideologically, philosophically, nationality, ethnic, all all those things. And if we wanted to dwell on those things, there could be so much frustration and division. And ah. But you know what? As children of God, there are more important things that unite us than divide us. Amen. So anyway, I'm starting to preach a different message than the one God gave me, so I'm going to stop right there. Some people. And in this story, we see that there are some people where Jesus is. Lots of some people. Where Jesus is. And as we just illustrated here tonight, these people are different types of people, different groups of people. You can categorize these people in different ways. And so what I want to do is we work our way through this story from beginning to end, see the people that are there. And as I said, I think you might see yourself in one, maybe two, maybe three of these types of people. I see myself in a couple of them. So, what are these people, these some people that have gathered? We start the story in verse 1, and it says that Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but very soon moved to Nazareth, where he spent most of his years growing up. But when he entered into ministry, he traveled all around, made a number of trips to Jerusalem, which is way in the south, then back up north where he lives. But he moved early on in his ministry. He moved his headquarters, the place where he's going to have his ministry hub, to Capernaum. Fishing village on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And so... He has already moved there. And if you read Mark chapter 1, you find out he's already done a bunch of stuff in Capernaum. In chapter 1, we we read about a time that he went to synagogue, met with the people of God. He healed somebody there. Word spread. Then he went back to Peter and Andrew's house 
And when the sun set and the Sabbath was over and people could travel, it says the whole town came out and gathered all around that home because they had needs. And they saw Jesus meet that man's need in the synagogue. And they said, Jesus, can you do it for me? And it says he did. It late into the night, he's ministering to the people. Early the next morning, after being up late at night, he goes out to spend time with his father. And people are looking for him. His disciples are looking for him. His disciples finally find him and say, hey, Jesus, come on back. There's lots of people looking for you. And he basically says, you know what? They had their chance and we'll be back, but we got a lot of other places to go. So he goes out to do teaching and preaching all over the place. And the reputation is spreading. But now it's time for a break. So he comes back to Capernaum. He returns to Capernaum. And the word has gone out that he's at home. Who's home? Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe since he moved there, he's renting or leasing, got his own house because he's got his mom with him. His brothers and sisters are around sometimes. I don't know. There's a good chance he's at Peter and Andrew's house. Because in chapter 1, it talks about that that's where they went back to after he did his ministry in the synagogue. That's, it seems like they come back and they're, they're there. But we don't know for sure, but he is somewhere that's considered home for him. And then we see these people. So the first type of people. We see in this story some people who are curious. We see some people who are curious. In verse 2, it says that when the news got out that he had returned and was at home, many gathered together. So many that they were packed into the house. We have no idea how big the house house was. Some houses were very small. Some were medium-sized. Some had a courtyard, the built-in, walled-in courtyard. We don't know. But whatever it was, they were packed in that house. They were packed around the house. I can imagine they were at every window looking in at the door, looking in. It says there were so many people you couldn't even get close because there were some people who were curious. They were curious. If we were to be there that day and take a poll and say, why are you here? We've heard about this Jesus. Or maybe they saw him the last time he was in town. And they want to see, what's he going to do next? What's he going to say next? What miraculous thing might he do? What word that he's going to speak or teach with authority? And they're curious. And I came up with that word back a while ago when I was preparing this message, but in the light of the last couple of days and some of the things that have been preached by some of the other speakers we've had, I would add to that that they're not just curious, but they are hungry. So it's a picture not only of them, but of us. If you're here tonight on a Monday night when it's a little bit warm and the breeze died, it was blowing so good a little while ago. Chances are it's because you're curious or you're hungry. There may be one or two of you that your spouse forced you to come. Don't point at them, okay? Somebody else coerced you to come. They promised you something to be here. But for the most part, if you're here, it's because you're curious. You want to see what Jesus is going to do. And I know a bunch of y'all is because you want to be a part of what Jesus is going to do. But I want to tell you something. These people are very curious, and they are very hungry. Some have probably come from down the street, the other side of the town square. 
maybe a little farm just outside of town. But when you read the Gospels, you see that wherever Jesus went, there were people that gathered because they were curious, because they were hungry from that local area. But you also see, if you look at a map of Palestine and the places that are listed, that there are people who have come five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles, 40 miles, and they didn't have a car, a plane, a bus. If they were lucky, they had a donkey. They would walk. 30, 40 miles. And I, this isn't the focus, main focus of my message, but it makes me wonder, how hungry are you? Are we? How hungry am I? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm hungry. I want to be where Jesus. I want to see what he's going to do. But am I hungry enough to pay a price? So here we have some people, some people who are curious. We also have in this story some people who are in need. How many people who are in need are in this story? I heard somebody say a lot. All of them. You know, we're focused, the story's focused on one. We're going to talk about him in just a minute. But, you know, every person in this story except Jesus is in need in some way. In fact, I would say that that's probably why at least some, maybe even many of the people are there. They're curious, they're hungry, but they're in need. They know Jesus can make a difference. The story, Mark, at this point is just focusing on the one because of what Jesus did and what he said. But there are people all through that crowd that are in need. There are probably there people there that need healing. When Jesus was in town last time, somehow they missed it. Somehow. But he's here. And in the same way, there are people that are here tonight. There are some people that are here tonight that are in need. And in the same way, that includes all of us. I I don't know what your need is. I I don't know what your need is. I, I don't know if there's something that is weighing on your mind that's causing you anxiety. I don't know if there's a relationship problem between you and your spouse or your parents or your kids or kid or parent, a situation at work. I don't know if you're lonely. I don't know if you wish there was some other person you could really join your life with and they've not come along yet. Or maybe you're with someone that you wish, never mind, I won't go that one. Maybe you're a single parent and you're trying to keep a household together by yourself. Or maybe you're like me and my wife who have a daughter who's a single parent with three teenage girls trying to keep her house together by herself. Maybe you have loved ones that don't know Jesus like you do and your heart breaks for them. Maybe you've got a physical situation in your body and maybe even every night you've been coming and you've been asking God to heal you and you're still waiting on your healing. Don't ever stop waiting and don't ever stop praying. But just like there were people then, some people in need, tonight there's some people in need here. But can I tell you something? Those people were smart because when they were in need, they knew who to go to. They knew to go to Jesus. And can I tell you, the same thing is true tonight, that whatever need you might have, Jesus is the one to turn to. 
He's the one to turn to. Now, now real quick, I'll just say, but I've been turning to him. Nothing's happened yet. Don't give up. Don't give up. So there's some people who are curious. There are some people in need. But not only that, we see some people who care. We see some people who care. We got these four guys. Okay? We got these four guys who care so much about their friend that they're not worried about rushing to the house to get a front row seat to be with Jesus. They got to get their friend first. And they get their friend. It's four of them. They carry him there. The crowd's there. They can't get him in. Now, a little explanation. And, and you all, if you've been in church any amount of time and your pastor's preached, you probably understand this. But in case there's anybody here that doesn't get this, I'll just explain it really quick. The houses then, again, the small, medium, large house, whatever it is, built of probably basalt rock. And the roofs were flat, okay, for the most part. There'd be these major beams every three to four feet. Those beams would then have kind of cross beams made of sticks or something like that. And then thatching would go in there. Then mud would be packed into that. And sometimes they'd mix in other things like manure. And Don't ask me why. But anyway, all that kind of stuff. Because they kind of would hope grass would grow on top. You know, help with this. But anyway, it would be packed in, okay? And it would be baked by the sun. And we would think, why in the world would they be going? How wide up on the roof? But back then, the roof was another place to live. It was a place to get out of the heat. The oppre- they didn't have air conditioning. That may be a revelation to you. The houses didn't have very many windows. It was just more places for water to come in. So it got hot. So people would have these flat roofs. A lot of times they put a tarp up there, have a little pavilion, sort of like our lanai patio. I don't think any of them had pools up there. But many times at the end of a hard, hot day, They would go up on the roof to catch the cool breezes and then go inside to sleep at night. And because of that, many houses would have even a stair set of stairs on the outside or at least a good sturdy ladder so they could get up on the roof. And so that's the picture we see here. We have these friends who care. And they are determined to get their friend to Jesus. They care a lot. And they're carrying him. And the story doesn't say whether they tried to push through the crowd or whatever, but they realized they could not get in through the door. But they didn't give up. They probably said, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. And somebody had the bright idea. Let's take him up on the roof. And let's dig a hole. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just mud. It's just thatch. There's some sticks in there, but we can make a hole big enough to let him in. And I can't even imagine. It'll be interesting if God videotaped this, you know, and we can see it when we get up to heaven. You know, Jesus is inside. He's preaching the word and the people are listening and all that kind of stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden the dust is floating down. You know, a little beam of sunlight comes through. I have a feeling Jesus probably didn't say a whole lot through this process because nobody's paying attention to him now. And they're looking, you know, they're digging through. I heard a preacher one time describe this. It's so hilarious. We don't know. We don't know. But the guys are digging the hole. The hole's there. It says they lowered him down in there. How did they lower him down in there? 
You see pictures, you see ropes tied to the corners of his bed, which his bed is just a mat. Some translations say a mat. You know, you had a mat for a bed, bed, mat, same thing. It's a mat. You see, you see these pictures, right? You see them, they got ropes, and they're lowering them down. Who carries about 20 feet of rope around with them all the time? I, I don't. I thought I heard Bert. Bert might. Bert carries everything around with him. Anyway. And they weren't planning to dig a hole through the roof. They are just going to give it to Jesus. So I heard this preacher one time saying, so they're up there. They got the hole in the roof. How are they going to get the guy to Jesus? Well, you take one corner. You take one corner. You take one corner. Let's lay on the roof. Start lowering him down. Start lowering him down. Wait a minute. We got about five, six feet left to go. Well, he's paralyzed anyway. On three. One, two, three. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was so hilarious. You know, uh, I'm sure that's not how it happened. I'm sure that's not how it happened. Somehow, some way, they lowered the guy down. They were determined. But you know, in the same way, there are people in this tent tonight. There are people that are watching a live stream. And around us in this tent tonight and around you, on the, there are people that care. And you may already know that because they're your friends, they're your family members, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. But, you know, even if you don't know that, there are people who care about you. Sometimes you just need to get to know them. There are people who care. There are people who care. But do we care enough? Again, another way that we can look at our hearts. I say, you're in one of these groups or maybe more than one of these groups. Are you one of those who care? I, I believe everybody in here, you're one of those that care. That's why you're here. But how much do we care? Do we care enough to really go out of our way? Do we care enough to pay the cost? Do we care enough to deal with the consequences that come from caring? They're going to have to fix that roof, which, as I described it to you, it's not as difficult to fix as if somebody punched a hole through one of our roofs, but still. they got to deal with the frustration of the homeowner. Do we care enough to pay the price to get someone to Jesus? And we're not going to be stopped. We're not going to be stopped. Another little thought that came to me this week as I was preparing is that it took four men to take him there. Here's a couple of ways we can apply that. You know, there may be somebody that you love very dearly and you're trying to reach out to them for Jesus and you're sharing with them about Jesus and you're inviting them, you're doing whatever, you know, you're loving them, you're, you're doing good things for them and it seems like they're just not responding, they're just not responding. You know, it, it may be that God wants to use you but he's going to use somebody else too and then somebody else. It may take four people. Another way it plays, it may take four times. You know, we get frustrated, we share gospel with somebody they seem totally rejecting but that was a seed that was sown. It's been a while since I looked at it, but I remember reading uh, a survey uh, that was done about people that came to know Christ, that for most of them, it didn't happen the first time they ever heard the gospel or the first contact they had with a person who knew Jesus. It took like seven, eight, nine, ten times. You could probably look in your own life. I mean, when, when you first heard the gospel the first time, did you accept Jesus right then and there, or was it a process of seeds being planted by different people and different events and different things that were going on? So don't give up. Don't give up caring. Don't give up trying. Don't give up sharing. Don't give up loving. Don't ever give up. So there's some people who care. 
There's some people who are totally focused on Jesus. Right? They're in the, I almost said they're in the tent. We're in the tent. They're in the house. They're at the door. They're at the windows, if there are any or whatever there. They are totally focused on Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. How many of you want to be totally focused on Jesus? Amen. It's not a trick question. I want to be totally focused on Jesus. But there is one way in which being totally focused on Jesus can cause some problems. How in the world can that be? That almost sounds like heresy. These people were so totally focused on Jesus, they're looking at Jesus that they don't care about the guy behind them in need. Say, is that fair? Well, maybe not totally. Maybe some of them didn't know about it. You see, sometimes we can be so totally focused on Jesus, we don't see people around us that are in need. But maybe even worse is that we see them, go back to this story, not us, but people there that they kind of saw him, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm here to see Jesus. I don't, I don't, you know. Maybe people at the back, as the friends bring, say, hey, listen, this guy's got to get to Jesus. Look at, look at his condition. He's got to get to Jesus. And people say, no, 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 no. You're not going to push in front of me. But we look at our own hearts. We need to be totally focused on Jesus. But when being totally focused on Jesus, he wants us to have an eye open. When looking behind us, when looking to either side of us for people that are in need. You've heard that old saying, people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on heaven, where we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And we need to keep our eyes off the world in the sense of being drawn by it. But as we are totally focused on Jesus, we've got to keep our eyes open to the people around us who are in need that we want to take with us to meet Jesus. Some people who are totally focused on Jesus. Another group, you say, how many groups are there, Pastor? Total of seven, so you can count them. The fifth one is this. There's some people who have faith. There's some people who have faith. Look at what Jesus says in verse 5. Verse 5. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Well, it's more than one person because it's there. Probably the four guys. Probably the paralytic. At least those, all right? When he saw their faith. Now, pay attention to that. These are those people. These are some people who have faith. Who are the some people who have faith? They're people that are doing something. What this shows us is that faith is not primarily a feeling or a state of mind. It includes that. It's not just proper belief. But if it's real faith, it will result in action. And we could preach a whole sermon on that out of James and, and John about how if you claim to have faith, but it doesn't change your life, 
It doesn't cause you to do what God calls you to do and live the life that He calls you to live. It's not real faith. So there's some people who have faith. Their faith is so strong, it showed up in their actions. Now, I don't know about the rest of you pastors, but I have a lot of people in our church that I see their faith. I see their faith. I see their faith in the way they serve. I see their faith in the way they love. I see their faith in the way they give. I see their faith in the way they worship, even when they don't feel like it sometimes. I see their faith when they love people that sometimes are difficult to love. I see their faith when they hold their tongue. Maybe when they don't want to. But can I tell you, faith moves the hand of God. Faith moves the hand of God. You know, if we look at the rest of that verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Get up, you're healed. You all said amen. That's not what Jesus said. Are you all listening? I know you just expected a really great thing. That's right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. No, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was not what these four guys expected. That was not what this paralytic expected. Probably, maybe, wasn't even what they really wanted. But here's a very key principle for this guy and for us tonight. Sometimes, many times, maybe even most of the time, God gives us what we need before he gives us what we want. God gives us what we need before he gives us what we want. And look at this story and this man. If he had given the man exactly what he wanted, he would have healed him. He'd have gone. But if he had not had his sins forgiven, he might have had a whole lot better life, but an absolutely horrible eternity. Sometimes, many times, maybe even most of the times, God gives us what we need before he gives us what we want. And can I tell you, this is one of the major keys to the idea of unanswered prayer. There's a number of reasons why God does not answer prayer the way we want to when we want him to. Because God is more concerned that we get what we need than that we get what we want. And sometimes we don't get what we want because we're not doing what we need to do about what we need. We pray, God, work in my finances. They're a mess, and I'm having such a hard time paying my bills, and this, that, and the other. And God says, have you done what I told you to do? Have you put me first and been a good steward of the rest? Because I promised if you put me first and you're a good steward of the rest, I'll meet every one of your needs. There may be times, not every time, not every time. There may be times our finances are in a mess because we're not putting God first. And he says, you need to learn something. So I'm just going to leave you there for a little bit till you get things together. We pray, God, touch my marriage. We're fighting all the time. We're having problems. 
barriers, obstacles. We can't seem to agree. God says, are you doing what I told you to do? Have you been loving that woman like Jesus Christ loved the church? Are you willing to die for her? You willing to put her needs before your own? Are you willing to follow the leadership of your husband as he shows the initiative? Are you willing to respect it? But he's not worth it. But are you willing to fulfill your place? To love them even if they're unlovable? And I can make a big long list of different things that we pray about. God, I need healing in my body. Are you doing what I told you to do? Are you recognizing that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you asking for healing from lung cancer and you're smoking two packs a day? That's just a simple illustration thrown out there. It's like, that seems kind of ludicrous. But, you know, we're asking for healing for things for our kidneys and our livers, but we're doing all kinds of stuff that's just making it worse. Now, now please understand me. I am not trying to say that God's not going to touch us or meet our needs unless we have every little detail of our lives perfect. We can't do that. But are we really trying to do what God's called us to do about the areas of our life that we're praying about? Okay, I'll stop preaching about that one. So he says, son, your sins are forgiven. By the grace of God, God gives us what we don't deserve and can never earn. We can be forgiven and our sins never held against us ever again. That's what happened to this man. The sixth. Remember I told you there's seven. There's some people who criticize. That's been talked about a little bit the last couple of nights. I thought, I really don't need to spend all that much time on this one because we've heard some stuff about it and all that. And I thought, no, I need to spend a little bit of time on this one. And the reason I need to spend a little bit of time on this one because this is where I need to preach to myself. As a pastor... And as someone who's had the privilege of knowing and loving and serving God since I was 10 years old, I've always had a passion. I want, Lord, to do what you want me to do. And I've had a passion for things to be right. And as a pastor, one of my greatest passions is that when I deal with God's word, that I deal with it right. That I study it and understand it in context and I teach it, and I preach it in context, and I apply it the way God meant for it to be applied, not just pulling this scripture from here and that scripture from there and just quoting it because it sounds good and get everybody, whatever. I want it to be right. And a second passion I have is I want things not only to be said right and the truth to be spoken, but for things to be done right. And I honestly believe, because I've got scriptural background to support it, that that's one of the primary roles of pastors as shepherds. They have to guard their flock against the wolves that will come in with false teaching and false practices. Okay? But sometimes one of your greatest strengths can become your greatest weakness. And I've recognized early on in my life and my ministry that because of my passion for things to be said right and done right, if I wasn't careful, I could have a critical spirit. And it's something I've prayed for my entire life in ministry, and I continue to pray, and I, sure, I am sure that I'll be praying about till the day I die. God, help me. 
Help me to take a stand for what is right. The truth spoken and practiced. But help me not to have a critical spirit. Help me not to have a critical attitude. If I'm in a situation where I'm responsible for something that's not right, help me to deal with it the right way because if I deal with it the wrong way, it can be just as bad as what was not done right. We have in this story the scribes, the people who, these are the Bible scholars. They knew God's truth, but they didn't recognize Jesus. Because it had to be exactly the way they thought. They had added so much to God's word. And they missed Jesus. The people who should have been the first ones to recognize who he was missed it. Missed it. And when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Instead of considering maybe this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Let's compare with Scripture. Does he fulfill what Scripture says? No, 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 no. They said, no, you, you can't be. In fact, you know what? You are blaspheming. You're either claiming to be God or do something that only God can do. And so you need to be stoned, really. We can't do that right here and now, but we're going to start making plans. And they began to make plans that led to his crucifixion. And then Jesus says, okay, well, which is easier? To say your sins were forgiven or rise up and walk? They're both just as easy to say, but the idea is, is which one is the easiest to prove? Well, you can say your sins are forgiven, and who's going to dis- dispute? I mean, it's not something you can see. He says, but just so you will know. You see, I don't think Jesus said that specifically just to say, in your face, scribes. I think he was saying this like, scribes, as much as you hate me and you're against me, I still love you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to know. And if you'll have an open heart and an open mind to respond to what you're getting ready to see, there's still hope for you. He says, so that you can know you're healed. Get up. Take up your mat. Rise. Walk. How many of those scribes, how many of those critics changed their minds? I don't know, but we know that they're through all through the story of Jesus' life. More and more critics, more and more of the religious leaders that ch- chose to just ignore how Jesus fulfilled all the things that God said was going to happen and then became the ones were instrumental in putting him to death. Last group, some people. In this story, we see some people whose lives can be changed by Jesus. And just like the case of the people that are in need, that includes every single one of them, even the critics. And the same thing is true for those of us that are here tonight. There are some people whose lives can be changed by Jesus right here tonight and right there online. And that can and should include you. We get to the end of the story in verse 12. It says, after this healing, it says that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And that's fantastic. But it makes me wonder. They saw something great. But for how many of them were their lives changed? We're having these series of services. We have some phenomenal times of hearing God's word and responding to it. God working in the altars. And it's, it's all real. 
has some great testimonies coming out of these times together. But where the rubber really meets the road is what difference will it make a month from now? A year from now? The thing that's really cool, it says for people who truly respond to Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our lives can be changed. They will be changed if we turn to him. John says in 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I see that in a very physical way in this story. This paralytic was bound to his bed. Now, I don't mean he was tied to it, but he might as well have been. This man had been on his bed, and because of that, he could do nothing to take care of himself, to support himself. He was probably a beggar because most people were that were in a situation totally and completely dependent on other people to take take care of his own personal needs and any other needs he had. And he was bound to that bed. But when Jesus forgave him of his sins, he set him free spiritually. When he healed him, he set him free from that bed. And I see that as a picture of him being totally set free. And I just want to add this to what we're talking about tonight. That whatever you are bound to, Jesus can set you free. If maybe not to a bed or a mat or something you can see. But you've been paralyzed and lying on that bed of addiction. Paralyzed and lying on that bed of a nasty attitude. Paralyzed and lying on that bed of hopelessness. Jesus can set you free from that. Say, hey, listen, just get up off of that thing. Be set free. If that's you tonight, I believe that he would like to do that for you tonight. Jesus is here to change lives. The last thing I want to share with you, how does all this happen? It happens through the gospel. It happens through the gospel. The stated purpose of our meeting together for these two weeks is we want to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people around us. And no matter what else God might do in this place to touch us as believers' hearts, we want anyone who would come to this place or watch online or whatever to first and foremost come to know how they can know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's really interesting because as we look at this story at the very beginning, In verse 2, it says, Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. What was the word he was preaching to them? We don't know the exact words that day. We don't know the exact stories. We know that he often told stories because it really helped people's interests and all that kind of stuff, and they illustrated spiritual truth. But we know what the basic message is that Jesus proclaimed. Just go back one chapter. If you happen to have your Bible open, go back to chapter 1 when Jesus begins his ministry. Let me find it here. There we go. Chapter 1, just 14 verses into the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. 
He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, this is before Jesus is betrayed and crucified and died for the sins of the world. So at this point, the gospel, the good news is that you've been waiting for God to break into history. You've been waiting for God to break into your lives. He's doing it. And to experience what God has for you, you need to repent. We've had a lot of great preaching on repentance the last several days. That's where it starts. It's not just, oh, Jesus, come into my life and make things better. Oh, Jesus, come into my heart. All those things are true, good, real. But it starts with repentance. Because the problem is sin. And if the sin is not dealt with, the problems are still there. And not just the, the problems, but, but the problem between us and God. What's the gospel now on this side of the cross? Paul made it very clear. Let me read a couple more verses, and we're about ready to wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, Now I remind you, brothers, and that includes sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, of which you received, and in which you stand, and you're being saved, and hold fast to it. But in verse four, 3, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. What is the gospel? The gospel is bad news and good news. And the good news, gospel means good news, is good news because there's such terrible bad news. And the terrible bad news is that we are all sinners separated from God, and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. No matter how good we try to be, whatever, there's nothing we can do about it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's glorious standards. We can't even begin to measure up. I like to compare it to the Grand Canyon being between us and God. I don't care how fast you can run and how far you can jump. You're not going to jump far enough. I don't care how good you try to be. That's a wonderful way to live life. I don't care how loving you and caring. It's not enough. The sin is too big. It's too much. Romans goes on to tell us, but the wages of sin, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God and all that is good for all eternity. But that same verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And why is that? Because he came and he died and he was buried and he rose again. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth, lived the perfect life that we could not live so that in God's way of doing things, that when he died a death he did not deserve, it could pay the price for the death that we do deserve. So we repent and we believe. What's the believe part? We accept that truth to be true. We apply it to our lives 
and we live it out. As Pastor Jamie said yesterday morning and last night, to believe in Jesus is not just say, oh, I believe he's God. Demons believe that. But it means to put my hope and my trust and base my life and my lifestyle upon that. You can't earn your salvation. And the good news is you don't have to try to get it all cleaned up before you get salvation and before your sins are forgiven. But can I tell you that if you truly repent and come to him and surrender your life to him and ask Jesus to forgive you based on what he did, not what you can do, it will change your life. It will change your life. Let's all stand together. How are we going to wrap this up? Well, first of all, I just said a moment ago that the primary reason we wanted to do this, the first thing we want to focus on is that people could come to know Jesus. And so the first thing I want to do is just say this. If you are here tonight and you are not right with God because your sins are in the way, you might be saying, well, yeah, my sins are not that bad. Not. I know, I understand. You might say you're bad. You can compare yourself to all kinds of people, and you're a whole lot better than they are. If you want to get into it, we can make a list of a whole lot of people that they're a lot better than you are, too. But that's not the point. Our sins separate us from God. And if you're here tonight, and your sins are separating you from God because you've not repented of them and turned to him to ask for forgiveness based on what Jesus did and surrendered your life to him. Tonight's your night. But it's up to you. Because I couldn't force you and I wouldn't even if I could. You have to make that choice. So I'm just going to say, if you're here tonight and you need Jesus and the forgiveness he offers and the forgiveness he paid for on the cross, I want you to come down here. If you want to say, God, I need you. I need you. And I want to surrender my life to you. Come down. Say, well, that's just kind of just right out there. Yeah, it is. Again, I like what Pastor Jamie said last night. If you can't make that kind of a decision in front of people that love you and would like nothing better for you that you come to know Jesus like we do, how in the world are you going to live for him out there in a world that's going to do everything they can to tear you away from him? So is there anybody? God's dealing with your heart. You know it's talking about you. You know the Holy Spirit is talking to you. I'm going to wait just a moment to give you the opportunity to come. Thank you, Jesus. God just talks and touch lives, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. When you want it all, you come and say, I need Jesus as my Savior. I want Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Pastor Jan, could you come pray with Barbara? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? You want to respond? God's speaking to your heart. 
Hallelujah. Keep playing but not singing right now because here's what I want us to do. Even though it doesn't seem to be an abundance of people here under the tent that want to respond to Jesus tonight, maybe because there is no one else that needs to. There may be people that are watching online, live, or watching this recording later. So can we pray for their benefit? Would you join with me to say, Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight, and I recognize that I am a sinner separated from you, and I don't want to be. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm going to need your help to deal with them, but forgive me. And I ask for that not because I'm so good, but because Jesus died for me and paid the price for my sins. Lord, I look to Jesus. I proclaim and believe that he died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose again to new life. And I thank you that you offer me new life. And I accept that new life. In Jesus' name, help me to live for you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that and meant it with all your heart, God forgives you. There's one more thing I want to do before we leave tonight. I'm going to ask our altar team to come. I just want to say I want to thank each and every one of you who have been trained to become part of our altar workers. I know we got to come right ahead. Altar workers, come, come, come. Please just line up along the front of this. I know we've used you on some nights. Some nights it wasn't necessary. But you have a very important role. And this is what I want us to do just for the next couple of minutes and then we're going to close the service. Jesus forgave the sins of the paralytic. But then he reached out and touched him. And we talked at the beginning of my message about needs. About needs. And all of us have them. And I would just say, if you would like someone to pray with you about any need that you have, come. Come. We're just going to take a couple moments. Come. And if you came down as an altar worker, say, oh, wait a minute, I wanted to be an altar worker, but I need prayer. Just step out, turn around, and go to somebody else, okay? We're all here together. We're just going to pray for each other. But let's take a couple of us. If you would like God to touch you, you want, you want God to touch you for healing, you want, you, you want someone to agree with you about a family member that needs Jesus, or, or you want someone to agree with you about a family member that, that needs a, a healing touch, or, or anything else, just come. We're not going to take a long, long time, but we're going to touch Jesus. We're going to come to Jesus. We're going to press in and ask him to make a difference. Go ahead and sing. We're going to take a minute. Just come. Just come. And as people come, just pray. Hallelujah. If you need prayer, if you're on the altar team, you need prayer, just step out, turn around, let somebody pray for you. If you're doing good. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.